Our scripture today comes from uh, Matthew 6, uh, verses 5 through 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, come to afford you today thankful for all that you've given. We thank you, Lord, for your provision. We thank you uh, uh, for this church that you've brought forth. Lord, we are thankful that we can come before you that we can approach you because of what you've done on the cross. Lord, we ask uh, today that you would help us to uh, have a forgiving spirit. Lord, help us to search our hearts and our lives, Lord, and offer forgiveness because it's what you have done for us. So, God, we ask for hearts that are receptive, uh, hearts that are submissive to your will. Uh, be with Rick as he brings the message. Lord, let our hearts be open, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're still a church plant. We're only a few few weeks into this whole thing, and uh, i got to admit that every week there's a little bit of anxiety. Is anyone going to show up? And it's, you know, 10, 20, where's everybody at? And uh, thank you for being here. It's good to, to see folks coming out and folks coming back. They're not just out, but actually coming back some, and so that's exciting, and uh, I'm convinced, and I know that, uh, that the group that has been a part of this for a while now is very much convinced that this is actually a very unique and a very special work of God that we get, we're getting to be a part of. Um, it's not every day that a new church starts, and it's not every day that a, a church starts the way that this one has, where, and I don't say this lightly, we have seen miracles take place. Like, there has been a very tangible, very real display of God's power and going before us and providing along the way. A, just a story, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, the story of how we got into this building and how we're in it, in it today. It's a big deal. So we're excited. And, and because of that, I really, I really encourage all of you and invite others, come out tonight. Um, we, we don't do stuff every Sunday night. But this is one Sunday where we're doing something on a Sunday evening. And what we're doing here, we're getting in this room at 6 o'clock this evening for a special time of just celebrating God and celebrating his goodness, celebrating what he's done for us, celebrating uh, how he's moved on our behalf. And to be honest with you, like those of us that have been like really like, like just sweating and trying to get into this, and because it happened during the holidays, we really haven't had a chance to stop and celebrate 
And so tonight we're going to take like about an hour, maybe an hour and ten minutes. We're going to spend extra time singing. We're going to spend some time praying. We're going to take the Lord's Supper together and just really celebrate the goodness of God. And obviously, most importantly, celebrate Jesus, which is why we're doing this whole thing to begin with. So hopefully you can come back to that. Uh, and on top of that, it's not just a good time of getting together and singing. So, but I mean, we're, we're then doing what we talked about the last two weeks, which is practicing the spiritual discipline of worship. So there you go. There's some practical application from the last two weeks uh, tonight. Six o'clock right in here. Um, okay. Please turn, if you haven't done so, in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. First book of the New Testament. And uh, we're looking at chapter 6, verses 5. I'm going to only cover it through 13. And it's the verses that were on the screen. So if you don't have your Bible, you know, the verses will be up for you. But because we are a new church and we're trying to establish a church culture, we, we want to encourage everyone to always bring their Bible in a notebook and something to write with and take notes with because we're here to learn. Like this isn't just a, an hour just to kind of sit in a pew or a chair, just depending on where you're sitting. Uh, but to actually learn what God has to say to us and so seeing it for ourselves and taking note, it's just extremely helpful. So we want to see people grow. Um, and two Sundays ago, we began the sermon series that we're in, and it's entitled Freedom. And the premise of this sermon series is simply this. Most of us are not enjoying the freedom that we should. Most of us are not enjoying the freedom in Christ that we could be. Like there, there's a, a top on it. There's a, a barrier and so we're, we're looking into spiritual disciplines as a, trying to raise the bar, or at least take the lid off of this thing so that we can experience freedom in Christ to the maximum, to the fullest. All right, let me, let me kind of explain to you this whole thing about freedom using a, uh, just an, an illustration. Uh, there's a story I heard, I don't even know when I heard it, a long time ago. God goes to a circus, and he's baffled that you got these huge elephants everywhere, and they're tethered by like a little rope. Like it's just it basically shoestring is holding back animals that weigh tons. And he's like, how is that possible? And so after the show, he goes to one of the trainers. He's like, please explain to me how this little rope holds that beast back. And the trainer's like, well, that's easy. Because when the elephant is small, we put a chain around its neck. And it fights, and it fights, and it fights, and it learns that it can't break free. So every time it moves and fights and it feels its tug, eventually it learns, well, I can't break free, so it stops. So when the elephant gets big, they just put a little rope on it, and then the elephant moves, there's a little tug, and it stops. Because it's conditioned to think that it can't go anywhere. It's, con- it's tethered. It doesn't know any better. And, and what I suspect is that a lot of us are living like a circus elephant as opposed to one of the cool ones out on the plains of the Serengeti roaming free, right? Like, we're, we're, we're living life like one of those young elephants, maybe, or one of those older elephants. And, and here's the comparison that I want to make. The young elephants symbolize or represent a person who has not placed their faith in Jesus. There is a, ch- there is a choking chain around the neck And it is an unbreakable chain. And no matter how much we fight, it weighs us down and it's burdensome and we can't go anywhere. Some of us are like the older elephants. We have accepted Christ. We've we've embraced the gospel. We've, We've placed our faith in Jesus. We've been forgiven. And even though the chain is gone, even though the chain has been broken, 
we're tethered by these little ropes in our life that hold us back because we've been conditioned after years and years and years that there's a little tug and we just sit down and wallow in something as opposed to breaking free and experiencing the freedom that we have in Christ. Now, the bad news is every single one of us, all of us, are born with this chain around our neck. Scripture calls it sin. It is an unbearable chain. It is, it is tyrannical. It weighs us down. It, we can't break it. We, it, it, it we're under the, the clutches and the grasp of condemnation and, and judgment and, and guilt and shame and all of it. And, and we know this. I, I actually believe this, that somewhere deep down in our marrow, we understand that there's something holding us back. We just don't know what that is. We know that there, there is something missing, right? That, that something just isn't right. And we know this. We just don't know what the right thing is. And we don't really sure what it is that's choking us or holding us back. We're not quite sure what that chain is. So we try and we try and we try to break free of that thing that's in us, that, that's in our hearts. That, man, something's missing. Something's not right. So we fight and we fight and we fight and we fight. And the problem is we fight the wrong way. Or we look for the wrong thing to break the chain. So our natural disposition, our natural sinful tendency is to look not to God, but to look to the things of the world to try to break this chain. So if I get married, if I marry the perfect person, then I'll have freedom. Yeah, right. Um, If I have children, that'll be the answer. (laughs) Right. Um, If I get the next job. Because the grass is greener on the, on the other side of the fence, right? If I get that next job or if I get the promotion or if I get more money, that, that surely will relieve this thing that is missing in my life. If my 401k gets bigger, surely that'll do it. Or I, if I just get some self-improvement books and learn how to be a better me, that, that'll set me free. Religion, I need some religion up in my life, so we try whatever out. And the problem with all those things is that none of that can break this yoke. None of it can break the chain. And in fact, the more we pursue all of those things, the stronger that chain becomes. That's the bad news. Enter the good news. We love good news, right? Good news is good. We don't have to break the chain. Jesus did it. Jesus broke it. This is... He comes down from heaven. He lives the sinless life. He goes to a cross. And on that cross, he took on our sin. So basically, he said, give me your chain. And so Jesus willingly, lovingly took our chain upon him. And when he faced the wrath of God on our account, because we deserve to face the wrath of God, he died, he faced it, he paid the price for it. In that moment, he broke us free from condemnation. He liberates us from sin. So now darkness has no sting. Death has no dominion over us. Sin is no longer master over us. We're free. No more chain. The old song has been replaced with the new song. Gloom has been replaced with glory. Sin has been replaced with righteousness. That's freedom. That's freedom. That's the good news. So, I, I hope that everyone here would prefer that, that life, right? right? I don't want to be the young elephant harnessed with this chain that I can't break free from. Right? So we want to embrace the gospel, and this is how we break free of it. It's just a matter of faith. No, matter of, no, no amount of striving, nothing that we do. It is simply 
faith in Jesus. It's humbling ourselves that he did it. We can't. He did it. So we say, yes, sir, thank you. I want that. I confess my sin. I turn. I give my life to you. Period. Done. Enter freedom. Okay? Now, we do that. So we go from this elephant, young elephant with a big old chain around its neck, and we become an older elephant. And the problem is that for many of us, though we know that the chain is gone, there are all these little ropes that are holding us back. Everybody following with me? What could those ropes be? Man, we all got a past. Maybe it's like your family background, how you grew up. Maybe it's a, a traumatic event in your life. Something happened to you at some point in your life. A bad decision. Something back there. Some failure that in your life. Some past sin. And, and even though it's free, it still kind of has this noose, this, this line around your heart, and it's kind of pulling you back. Like all those things in us, like if, if we allow them to really just harness us, they tether us down. And for some of us, we live in that for so long. Like we live in sin or guilt or shame or other people's sin and guilt and shame. Like we, and we never learn to be free, right? We never really learn how to experience true freedom in Christ. And we live in it for so long that we're conditioned not to know any different. We're conditioned, well, I guess this is as good as it gets. And, and then I have to wonder, say, well, what does the world think of Christians when we say Jesus is the best thing ever and we're tethered? And the world should look at us like, how in the world should we be tethered? Look at us like the way you're in the circus looking at the big elephant. Like, how in the world is that elephant tethered by our line? The world should look at us like they believe in God and in Jesus that liberated them from eternity separated from God and they're going to heaven. How in the world can we be wallowing in whatever it is that, that just plagues our heart? And the reason is there's all this drama and stress and anxiety, fear that just pulls us back, that keeps us from experience freedom in Christ. All right, so I'm talking about freedom, and, and we've done this for a couple of weeks, and I want to just slightly, or no, not slightly, I want to define what freedom in Christ looks like. What is, what is true spiritual freedom like? What does it feel like? What does it look like? I mean, in a very real way. And it's, the Bible defines it as the blessed life. And I don't want to over-spiritualize blessed. In the Bible, blessed means happy. It's the happy life. It's the joyful life. It is life to the fullest. Jesus refers to it as abundant life. It is living life to the maximum. It is do, it's doing life the way it was intended to be. Like with passion and with energy and with fun and with a smile on our face. Not because life is easy. It's not that Jesus comes in and all of a sudden we're all smiles and puppy dog tails or anything. It's not that it's easy, but there is a joy that arises knowing that there's not a chain that holds us down anymore. And it's a life that is, is consumed, or you know, what does the, the freedom in Christ look like? We're near to God. It's the presence of God in us and around us. It is the, the nearness of God is what the psalm says. The near, nearness of God is our good. So he's with us. That's freedom. That's the way it's meant to be. It is a life of love and faith and hope. It is a, it's a life where we're just living in gratitude toward God and, and living it, displaying it through our generosity toward others. It's a life of wisdom and integrity in our daily living. It's a life of joy in the gospel and, and I would say boldness for the gospel. That's, that's what freedom is. 
That's what we're intended to be, how we're intended to look like and, and live life like. And, and I'll summarize it this way. Freedom in Christ, the spiritual freedom that we should be enjoying, is living life to the fullest in the grace of God and for the glory of God. And that's what we're talking about here. What does it mean to be free in Jesus? It means I'm living fully in the grace of God for the glory of God. And I would hope that, there's, that every person in this room this morning would prefer that life to the other alternatives. Like clearly, I would hope that none of us want to be that elephant with the, the choking, unbreakable chain around his neck. And, and I would hope that none of us would settle to be kind of a mature elephant that could break a rope, but it's okay settling for being tethered by like something that shouldn't tether us. Okay? Well, if your desire is to break free of the chain and cut the, the ropes loose, here you go. Ready? Step one, embrace Jesus. That's it. Step one, easy. Okay, that's a good one. That's an easy one. Place your faith in the grace of God through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross on your behalf. You're a sinner. We all know that. God knows that. You're not surprising anyone. Just come clean to God, repent from it, and give your life over to Jesus. That's step one. Step two, embrace the spiritual disciplines. What are spiritual disciplines? They're things like worship. They're things like prayer. They're things like Bible study, stewardship, Christian community, serving one another. There are others like journaling and fasting. I mean, there's a, there's a whole bunch of spiritual disciplines that, if we adopt them, allow us to enjoy the freedom that we have in Christ. Jesus won our freedom. The spiritual disciplines help us to enjoy that freedom. Let me put it to you this way. Jesus broke the chain. The spiritual disciplines are what cut the ropes. Everybody follow me? Everybody get that? Okay. So what we've done the last two weeks, we've covered what, well, we covered the first of this disciplines we're going to cover, and that, that simply is um, worship. And what we're going to do today and next week, we're, we're talking about prayer. And, and before I get into that, I, I want to give an illustration of what the, or how the, the spiritual disciplines work. You ready? Who's familiar with the concept of terraforming? One. Okay. Two, all right, there's a couple of us sci-fi people in the, in the group. Okay, so, so it's science fiction. It, it, it is this theory that you could take this uninhabitable, uninhabitable, completely hostile environment of the world and interject something into it, re-engineer it, so that it becomes hospitable. It, it is this, this thought that you could take equipment to this alien world and modify its atmosphere and its climate and its environment, maybe its topography, so that we can live on it. Like terraforming means earth shaping. So it's reshaping a world. Um, we do it. So you take this equipment and you plant it on the surface of this planet and it sucks in whatever gases are in the atmosphere and it spits out carbon dioxide and oxygen. And over time, then eventually you, you insert fungus and algae, and they start helping to do the process, and however long it takes, next thing you know, you got Earth too. You got an Earth-like planet where it can sustain life that is hospitable and habitable. Right? That's the whole thought of, of terraforming. Well, this is what the spiritual disciplines do. They terraform our heart. 
Because our hearts, quite frankly, are very inhospitable to God and the things of God. So by inserting prayer and inserting Bible study and inserting Christian community into our lives, there begins this process of reshaping and remolding our hearts so that it becomes this place where it's hospitable to God and the things of God. It starts changing us, whereas before, like in our heart, Freedom cannot exist because it's tethered and there's all this there's wounds and hurt and failure and all this stuff. So the spiritual disciplines come in and help restore that. They modify the atmosphere of our heart, the environment of our heart. And, and, and just so that you know, it's not like we do it, God does it. So God gets all the credit. He's the one that gives us a new heart. He's the one that completes the work that he began in us. He's the one that's at work in us, both to work in the will for his good pleasure. He's the one that turns us more into more like Jesus followers. He does it. Our role is simply to incorporate these practices into our life so that that may happen. And if we do it, our heart starts changing. Ropes are cut loose. We become more like the, the, the elephant roaming free on the Serengeti Plains. We experience freedom. And that, to me, is way preferable than the other alternatives. Okay? So we're talking about prayer. And I will say this, or let me just ask this. What is prayer? I knew someone would say that. Talking to God. All right. (laughs) I find prayer to be a mystery. Like, to me, it's a mystery wrapped inside an enigma, inside of a puzzle. Like, it is the easiest thing to do And yet, the hardest thing to do. A a child can pray, and it baffles adults. It it is as practical as it gets, and it is as theological as it gets. It is simple, and it is profound. And and I've, I've always searched for a definition of prayer, and I've tried to come up with one of my own, and I've never found one that, that quite did it. That's, that's the best one I can think of, that, God, that prayer is praying to God. And, and I actually had written this out yesterday. I was like, I, I scratched it out because I'm like, it doesn't do it for me. There's something missing out of that because it's, there's so much caught up in prayer. It's a mystery. And so what I think is that the question, what is prayer, isn't particularly that helpful. The question I think is helpful is, what is prayer for? I think we can get a lot further if we begin to approach that. Where it's basically, we want to ask and answer, what is the purpose of prayer? And that, I hope, will motivate us to get busy with the spiritual discipline of prayer so we can begin terraforming our heart, so we can enjoy freedom in Christ, so that the ropes have been cut and severed and not tethering us anymore. So here's the question. What is prayer for? Psalm chapter 50, verse 15. God is speaking, and he says, And call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Okay, and there in that verse are, is the two, the two sides or the two aspects of what prayer is for. We call, God hears. We pray, God delivers. We receive grace, God is glorified. We get what we need, God gets what he deserves. Let me read that verse to you again. Psalm 50, verse 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. We call, he answers. You see, there's two aspects. There's our share and there's God's share. The two purposes of 
prayer are grace and glory. Grace and glory. So Jesus himself, in John 16, verse 24, he says, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. He's talking about prayer. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be what? Made full. What He's talking about our share in prayer. He's talking about our portion in it. We come before God and he gives us what we need. He gives us joy. He gives us grace. Two chapters before that, in John 14, verse 13, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, so he's talking about prayer, I will do that the Father may be glorified. So there's the other part of it. There's God's share. He is glorified. He gets what he deserves. So this is what prayer is for. This is why we pray. Grace and glory. We get what we need. God gets what he deserves. Grace and glory. So I I hope that at the very least, if you hear nothing else, that today, tomorrow, this week, next year, the rest of your life, that as you're trying to develop a spiritual discipline of prayer, that this is really what guides you in your prayer life. Grace and glory. I need grace. God gets glory. I call to him. He delivers me. I, I, I pray to him. He hears me. Like There's the, the two aspects, the two portions, the two shares of, of glory. So that's what it's for. And, and as we look at what Jesus talks about in Matthew 6, we're going to look at it from that standpoint. And I, I want us to evaluate our own prayer life, assuming we all pray. <laughs> um, is this how we pray? And as we go through this, and just be honest with yourself, and be honest with the Lord, and, and just see how he could help you to mold your prayer life. And the reason, again, we do this is because we want to live a life in freedom, defined by what? A life lived in the grace of God for the glory of God. So I didn't say that by accident. That's the purpose of prayer, and I believe that that's what true freedom in Christ looks like. The purpose of prayer, grace and glory. What's a freed up life? Grace and glory. So the, the, the living and the praying go hand in hand together. Okay. All right, so let's, with that, let's work through what Jesus says about prayer in chapter 6. Let's read verses 5 and 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they receive their reward. But you... But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. All right, so the first thing we need to note there is that Jesus says, when you pray, as opposed to if you pray. The assumption is that those who are followers of Christ, this is something that they do. That this is something, it's not a suggestion really, it's a, it's a command, it's an imperative. So now the question, instantly, right, because this is how we were wired. Well, if I have to pray, how much do I have to pray? How often do I need to pray? Once a day? Is it like for 30 seconds or is it for 30 minutes? Can I get by with it with one, once a month for like 24 hours? Like, how much do I need to do it if I have to do it? Well, I'm glad you asked. And so Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, pray without Ceasing. Oh my goodness. So Jesus is saying, when you pray, the Apostle Paul is saying, 
pray all the time, without ceasing, 24-7, all the time, anywhere, everywhere, with no excuse. And, and that to me just seems a bit like over the top and ridiculous and uh, just completely unreasonable. And, and, and if Jesus were here, it's like, really? Like, I, how, how? You expect me to be on my knees with my eyes closed and my, my hands clasped and my head bowed 24-7. I'll never be able to do anything. Like, really, what do you expect? And, and I'm being, you know, trying, trying to be funny. Not, not very successful this morning. Um, but what Jesus really is saying, what Paul says, what Scripture teaches is, it's not an outward posture. It's not that you're actually praying the way we think of praying, where, like this, He's talking about a posture of the heart. He's talking about this inward uh, humility where we're always always just ready and willing and able that everything is an opportunity to pray. And let me put it this way, because even that becomes a bit daunting. Like, how can I even maintain a posture of it? Well, it's like this, grace and glory. It's grace and glory. Um, As we mature as followers of Jesus, we become more and more aware that we are extremely vulnerable and we become more and more aware of how invincible God is. So it's, it's, it's a level of humility where we're, like, we're just becoming more and more aware of how needy we are, even to breathe. I mean, we take it for granted, but the very fact that I can take in a breath and let it out, that, that is my dependence on God because he's the one that allows me to do that. The fact that I, I have a... A home with power. You know, the honey cuts found out last night. You can't depend on power. Like the power cuts off, right? Well, I, if, if the, my power stays on, it's because God is allowing that power to stay on in my home. We're depending on God for everything. And, at the, so it's, but, and that's the grace part. We need grace, right? We, we need God. The other part is God right now is upholding the universe by the word of his power. Like everything, everything is right there in the palm of God's hand. And if he says cease existing, it'll cease to exist. And if he wants to make another universe, he'll say exist. Right? So there, that this is the humility that we need to strive for in our heart. This is the posture, the greatness of God, our great need. I need grace. He deserves glory. And that hopefully, and, and another way of saying it is that the very purpose of prayer, you know, grace and glory, is the very fuel for it. I need grace. God deserves glory. And so the very purpose of prayer is the same thing as the fuel, or that which motivates and compels our prayer. So, real quick, is that how you pray? When you pray, are you praying with grace in mind? Are you praying with glory in mind? And is that helping you to pray more often, or be at least more willing and more able and more ready at all times throughout the day. That everything is an opportunity. God, I need grace. And everything's an opportunity. God, I give you glory. Do you, do you pray that way? All right. So he talks about when you pray. And then here, specifically, he criticizes a form of prayer. And more specifically, people that pray a certain way for a certain reason. So he criticizes those that, play, that pray out in public for the sake of public publicity. For the sake of personal publicity. People that instead of giving glory to God are bringing glory onto themselves. They're, they're standing out in the open. And it might be church or it might be in the street or it might be somewhere, anywhere else. And the reason that they're praying is so that they can turn people's eyes toward them. 
And so Jesus calls them hypocrites. He's like, no, nah, that, like, that's not the reason that we should pray, not to draw attention. And we probably know some of these people, like people that, that try to impress others with their religiosity. Like, they try to impress other people by, by their the bombastic nature of their prophetic utterances and display of their doxological impulse before the holy of holies god right and then and they throw in some some king james up in there 1611 authorized edition and they do that and next thing you know it's like thus mother knoweth that you weareth her drapes which is not actually shakespeare but i think the avengers but no no <laughs> now and i'm not criticized there there's some people that pray that way and they're very sincere and humble about it that jesus would not criticize them that's fine. What Jesus would criticize the person that prays in any way to make it about them. Because Jesus is not impressed by vocabulary. Jesus is more impressed by humility. It's not the words. It's our heart. And so that's why Jesus says, so if there are any of us that whatever our religious activity, our faith in Christ, whether it's praying or singing or preaching leading music, teaching a Sunday school, doing a Bible study. Like, if we're ever doing it for, look at me, look at me, and we're trying to grab glory, Jesus would say, stop and go into a private room. <laughs> just stop. Go pray. But just don't do it in public. Not do it, don't do it in public until that has been worked itself out in your heart. And so that's what Jesus would criticize. So that's, another, that's the other part of it. Are we stealing glory from God through our prayers? Are we making it all about me? Or is it all about the glory of God? All right. So Jesus says, when you pray, he says they receive their reward because the fact is some people are impressed by some people just because they're all religious and so forth. It says that they receive their reward. It says that God is the one that rewards us if we do it with the right reasons. So that's the Psalm 50 that I quoted. You call out to the Lord and he delivers. Right? So God knows. So he comes, he shows up when we need him to. If we come to him in humility, asking for grace, he knows he's our father. Okay, then let's read verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows that when you need, father knows what you need before you ask him. All right, so real quick, the word Gentile there. The word Gentile refers technically to those who are not Jewish, not ethnically Jew. Here, Jesus is using it a little bit looser than that. He's referring here to non-believers. So there's God's people and not God's people. He says, so God's people don't pray like not God's people. And the way that non-believers pray is that there is a tendency to just simply repeat, repeat, and say the same thing over and over again. It becomes kind of a superstitious mantra that if I say it enough, somehow it'll get my God's attention and wake him up. And it's almost as if um, you're trying to inform God of something. Hey, hey, I need this. Hey, listen. Hey, 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 listen. God, no, no, no. Over here, over here. Like this happened in 1 Kings chapter 18. Where the prophets of Baal, they pray repeatedly, repeatedly, over and over and over, chanting all day for hours. Hey, wake up. And Elijah on the other hill, he, he laughs at him. He says, shout louder. Maybe your God's going to the bathroom. He literally says that. So, so people who don't know God 
are always trying to find favor with God, trying to like manipulate God, trying to, trying to uh, get him to do something and, because they don't really realize that God already knows everything that they need. So, hey, hey, over here, over here. Look, no, I need, no, over, wake up. Where'd you go? Where are you at? And that's how non-believers pray. And what Jesus is saying, believers don't pray like that. Be simple and be concise. Why? Because God knows. God knows. And I think part of it here is just to avoid superstition. I, most of us are kind of a tendency toward being superstitious. Like we start, and it doesn't matter who we are, where we grew up. We start thinking that saying certain words or certain phrases in a certain way somehow has kind of this weird divine element to it, like an incantation or it's enchanted or it somehow has to come to a spiritual connection to something. And no, it's, words aren't spiritual. Our hearts are humble hearts. That's what makes it spiritual. And God knows the heart. And that's the point here. So then the question is, why should we pray? Why do we need to pray? If God already knows, why then why do we need to ask? And I know I've asked that question. And it's often the excuse why I don't pray. So why, why should we ask? And here's why. Glory. When we humble ourselves and we say, God, I need something, we are simultaneously saying, God, you're the only one that can give it. So you see grace and glory, how they go together. That's the purpose of it. When we bring a petition, whatever it may be, to God, we're saying, God, I give you credit because you're the only one that can meet that need. And it glorifies God. So, is that how you pray? When you pray, are you praying that way, humbly, Are you praying, asking for grace, giving glory to God? And if you do, if you start doing that, your heart will start being terraformed. It'll be reshaped. And as it's reshaped, those those ropes that are binding us down, tethering us, they'll start getting cut. They'll start being severed. And we'll start enjoying that freedom, that freedom that God wants, which is what? A life lived in the grace of God for the glory of God. Okay. Let's move on to verses 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus starts this off saying, pray like this. He doesn't say pray this. He says pray like this. And what that should help us in is that this is, you know, this is called the Lord's Prayer famously that the Lord's Prayer isn't meant to be recited like some kind of superstitious mantra. Like just simply doing it and somehow we performed our religious duty. That's not the point. What Jesus says, pray like this. So this is a model for how to pray. This is a guide or an example for how to fashion our prayers. I am not saying don't ever recite the Lord's Prayer. I do it often. When I do it, it's for this reason. I'm stuck. I'm at that point where I just don't know what, how to pray, what to pray, how to pray. I'm kind of at a loss for words. So I slowly go through the Lord's Prayer. And I, but I, I try to do it thoughtfully, mindfully, like with e- thinking about each word and what it means. And by the time I get to the end, my heart's opened up and I'm thinking about other things. And so it's helped me 
to engage in my prayer. But simply doing it at some kind of religious thing, like it, it doesn't carry water. It would actually go against what Jesus just said. So it's a model for how to pray. And so that's what we're looking at here. We begin the prayer with our Father. And I want you to understand that this, that right there, Father, distinguishes Christianity from every other religion on the planet. You know, you got religious people running around everywhere saying, well, Christianity is just like the others. And I mean, they're all different ways of getting to the same place. And that's just not true. It's just not a reality. We're the only religion, and I don't like calling a religion, I know we prefer to call it a relationship, we're the only faith that actually says God is our Father. Because we don't believe that God is some cosmic goo out there somehow controlling the universe or that He created the world and ran off somewhere, some kind of impersonal mystic energy force somewhere out there. No, God is a personal being. And he's father. And he's, he's not a tyrant. He's, he's tender. He's not a bad dad. He's a good father. There's, there's a loving compassion that comes from God that, come, that, that, that is God. Like he, he doesn't like, not care about us. He's like personally vested in our lives. And he rejoices in doing good for his children. I mean, I, I find that profound. That we don't say just God, we say Father. Well, as beautiful as that is, there's the other part of that, which is our Father in heaven. So as beautiful as it is that God is personal and intimate and close and Father. We have to balance that out with the fact that He is in heaven, which is a reference to His might. It is a reference to His majesty. It's a reference to His position. It is a reference to who He is. God is the self-existing ruler of the universe. He has no beginning and no end. God came from nowhere. And the reason God came from nowhere was because there was nowhere for Him to come from. And coming from nowhere, He stood on nothing. And standing on nothing, He spoke into nothing. And speaking into nothing, nothing obeyed Him. And nothing became something. And He hung something on nothing. And there it stayed because He wanted it to. That's God. This universe is His footstool. We get to call Him Father. And right there, folks, is grace and glory. That we can call God Father is grace. We are saved by grace. It is by grace that we become adopted into the family of God and that we can come close to Him and He comes close to us. And he's the king of glory. You know, we love quoting from the book of Hebrews. Like, you can approach boldly the throne of grace with confidence. Absolutely, amen. But make no mistake that the one who sits on the throne is the king of glory. And so that's, that, that amazes me. There's grace and there's glory when we pray. And so my question is, is this your, your heart's posture 
when you come, it, I, I, it's, it's like, run, like, not sh- like, how close do I get? And, and we get as close as possible because it's by the grace of Jesus, right, that we get, we get to jump into the lap of God, but let's not, he's not our pal, he's not our buddy, he's not our homeboy, right? He's God Almighty. And, and I do love like Romans 8 and Galatians 4 where Paul refers, when he's talking about God, he doesn't just simply say Father, he calls him Abba. Father, which is a term of endearment, it, it almost sounds like daddy in, in the Greek text. So there's, there's this closeness. We can jump into his lap, and I'm a 40-year-old man, right? I shouldn't, like, I shouldn't be all jumping into people's lap. Not to, oh, I'll be honest with you. I'd love the very idea of spiritually jumping into the lap of my heavenly father and being just embraced by him and his love. Because that's what heaven's going to be like. It's praying, it's grace, and it's glory, our Father in heaven. By grace we're saved. Oh my gosh, it's, it's for Him, it's for His glory. The rest of the Lord's Prayer is two sets of three petitions. The first three are all about what God deserves. The first three are all about the glory of God, and then those, the second three are all about what we need and all about the grace that we require each and every day. So let's just work slowly through what Jesus says. So our Father who is in, in heaven, and he says, hallowed be your name. What does hallow mean? It means to treasure something. It means to esteem something. It means to, to value, to honor, to reverence, to revere something. And he says, hallowed be your name. And you know, their name isn't being used in some generic sense, just some name. Name there carries the sense of this is the totality of who God is. This is who he is. So when you hallowed his name, you are hallowing God, all that he is, everything about him. And so this is the prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, I, re- I, I esteem you. And may all of creation revere you. And may all of existence declare your glory. And may all that you have made in your image, may they all reflect your glory. And so that's the prayer. It is a prayer for the glory of God, for Him to be famous. It is a prayer for the renown of our Lord. And He goes on there. He says, Your kingdom come. There's two kingdoms there's a kingdom of darkness that is pretty prevalent here on earth now. And when we pray, Your kingdom come, what we are saying is, God, get rid of, cast off that kingdom of darkness. Bring back Jesus is what it's praying. Right? When we say kingdom come, what we're asking for is for Jesus to return and usher in the kingdom, the presence of God, the, the kingdom of light into this world. And the beauty about that moment is that every tear will be wiped away and every heart will be mended and every sickness will be taken away from. Darkness will be cast off into nothing. You pray for the glory of God to be revealed in the return of Jesus. And I don't know when it's going to happen. I just hope it happens soon. So I pray, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, Lord. Then the next phrase, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what that prayer is? May the realities of heaven become the realities of earth. 
And be careful by praying this prayer because what it means is, Lord, I want to be your servant and I want to do your will. I want, to, I want to follow your commandments. I want to do what you've asked me to do. I want to uh, fulfill your plans and your desires. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May everything serve you and you alone for your glory. So you see that? That the first three petitions are all about what God deserves, all about the glory of God. So this is how we pray. Like this is the, the, the formula, the, 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 the structure that God gives us. When we pray, we pray first and foremost for the glory, the renown, the honor, the hallowing of God for his kingdom, for his purposes, for his will to take place in us, through us, around us, in heaven and on earth, everywhere for all time. It's a prayer for glory. The next three are a shift, where they shift from glory to grace. Give us this day our daily bread. And right there, praying that prayer is an act of humbling of ourselves. Because when we say, Lord, give us our daily bread, what we're saying is, Lord, I have nothing unless you provide it. It it is acknowledging that we're completely dependent on God. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says, give us our daily bread and not our weekly bread or our monthly bread or our yearly bread? Why is that, I wonder? I think there are probably several reasons. Here's mine. What's, it be- what's better, to be the son or daughter of a baker or to receive a warehouse full of bread? to be the son or daughter of the baker. And the reason why is that if someone gives me a warehouse full of bread, it's going to get moldy and crusty and go bad and and rats are going to eat it and I'm not going to get to enjoy it all before it goes bad or gets taken away from me, correct? And when it's gone, what do I have? Nothing. What if I'm the child of a baker? Fresh bread each and every day. And so... When we pray, God, give us our daily bread, you know what we're saying? God, give me my grace. So that, you know, it says that his mercies are new each and every day, right, in Scripture. What we're saying is, like, God, I want hot and fresh grace right now. I want hot and fresh goodness, like right out of the oven of God's heart into my, my life. That's so much better. And and the thing is, if God actually did give us all of that, I know how we are. We'd forget about him. We start thinking that we don't need God. And so God, in his goodness and his grace, he just, just, I'm going to give you what you need right now. And the other thing is, I don't even know if I have tomorrow anyway. And, and, you know, enough for today are the troubles for today. And all I need is grace for today. I just need grace for today. And it's just not just a little bit of grace. When God gives grace, it's, uh, I've always said this. It's like I think sometimes when we pray for God's grace, we, we come up to him like this. Can I get a little grace for today? And God's like, really? Like you need to bring like an empty ocean basin each and every day. That, that's how profound and immense and immeasurable the grace of God is for us. And he says, 
Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You know, what, in what area of life do we need more grace? And when it comes to our sin, their debt is a reference to our sin. And so we come to God, and the good news is that God's grace is infinitely greater than all our, all our sin. And so we are pardoned to the infinite degree. And it's so much grace, it's not, it's not just enough for pardoning, it's enough for changing of our hearts. And this is what happens in the heart of someone who places their faith in Jesus. That their heart is changed so much that they're able to forgive others. That, that right there doesn't mean that, oh, I have to forgive everyone who's wronged me before I get the forgiveness of God. It can't mean that, or it absolutely destroys the gospel of grace. That is not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that the forgiven person is a forgiving person. That the grace of God so comes and alters us that we become able to dispense grace to others. When we pray that prayer, God forgive me as I'm forgiving others, what we're saying is God help me in forgiving others. Give me the grace that I need to do so because you have forgiven me. And then the last one there, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the fact is that God never tempts us. Our own heart tempts us. The world tempts us. The devil tempts us. God doesn't tempt us. God is the deliverer. God does the opposite of tempting us. He helps us, right? He doesn't, and this is what I love. We don't just ask, great, God, forgive me. Give me grace, forgive me. No, we say, God, now, now that I'm forgiven, give me enough grace so that when that temptation comes again, I can kick it to the curb, right? Go ahead and grant me victory because all glory belongs to you. So it's, an, it's grace and glory right there in a petition. Deliver me from evil ahead of time. Give me strength and temptation because when it comes, Lord, I probably will fail. But if you give me the grace, I win, you win, I get grace. You're the deliverer, you get glory. So you see, like, when Jesus is teaching about prayer, it's grace and it's glory. It's grace and it's glory. And when we pray this way, if we would develop this discipline, this disciplined prayer life in our life, grace and glory, we'll begin to live a grace-filled life for the glory of God. We'll, those, those ropes will start getting, like, severed. Those things that are tying us down, that are they're binding us down, tethering us to things They'll start getting severed, and we'll be able to enjoy this freedom that Christ has for us. And this is the benefit of prayer. It terraforms our heart into one that is a free heart. What is the purpose of prayer? It points us to grace, right? It points us to glory. A.K.A., it points us to Jesus. The purpose of prayer is to point us to the Son of God. Hallowed be your name. What or who hallows the name of God more than the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension, the return of Jesus? Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Well, who ushers in the kingdom of God? Jesus. He started it 2,000 years ago when he defeated death on that cross 
and he defeated death when he rose from the dead, and then he will usher it in in power when he returns. When he comes in, God's kingdom will come back. Come in, in, into, will break into this world fully and completely. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, who does the will of God better than Jesus? He came into this world and he lived a sinless life in complete obedience to God, though he was tempted in every way. So he is our example. Give us our day, our daily bread. Jesus is the bread of life. Forgive me of my sins. How? Jesus. The Son of God on a cross paying for our debt on a cross because the wages of sin is death. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. How does, how does Jesus like not lead us into temptation? How does he help us in temptation? It's because he was born of a virgin and he lived fully man, fully God, 100% man, 100% God in one person in, the, in Jesus Christ. He took on human form. He became our great high priest. And he experienced every temptation that we will ever experience. And it's because of that that the book of Hebrews says that we can go to him, our great high priest, who knows what it's like, who sympathizes with us because he was tempted in every way. Prayer is about grace and glory and about pointing our hearts to Christ. And it's in Christ that our freedom is found. He's the one that breaks the chains. He's the one that cuts the ropes. So what is your prayer life like? Like, is this how you approach your Father who is in heaven? Do you approach Him with humility, saying, I need and you get? Right? Are, are, are you praying that way? When you pray? The, the other question is that I, at the beginning, I, I hope someone has a, been wrestling with in the beginning, it's like, which elephant are you? I mean, it may be that you're still one of those young elephants with the big old chain around the neck. And if that's the case, embrace the grace of God through the person of Jesus and the, the chain is broken and you're liberated and you're free. Or, or maybe you're one of the older elephants, but there are all these like nooses and all these like these lassos around your heart and all these things that are tethering you down. What do you do? Embrace the, God, the grace of God through Jesus, and he will cut each one of those tethering lines. And just in case there happens to be an elephant in here that is actually roaming free on the plains of the Serengeti, you know what I would ask? Help the rest of us. Give your life into the gospel in such a way that you help disciple others. Share the gospel. Teach the gospel. Help others learn how to live this free life. Help others to terraform their heart. So, I mean, by, by using that illustration, I really am asking for everyone to come to some level of response based on what you've heard and what we've discussed, what Jesus says in his word. I mean, we're one of the three. We're one of the three elephants in this. And regardless of which elephant we are, there is a response. Like once we leave here, there's some things we got to do. And regardless of which elephant it is, really it starts with this 
coming before Jesus, humbling ourselves. And I, actually, I was going to say that we all need to engage in a prayer life. I, I would say if you're still one of those elephants with the chain around the neck, the first thing that has to happen, you have to come clean before Jesus and embrace the gospel. Then prayer gets real. Then it becomes something worth doing. Before that, it's just static noise. So what, what is your response? And part of that response and, and what to do going forward is uh, evaluating what your prayer life is like. Like when you come to God, is it with the spirit of humility and is it asking for grace? Is it giving him glory? Are you thinking about how close and dear God is and yet the immensity of an infinite nature? And are you asking for his kingdom and his will to be done, the hallowing of his name? And are you asking, God, just give me what I need today and give me strength. Forgive me for my trespasses. Help me to forgive those who sin against me and lead me not into temptation. So I'm going to ask everyone to just close your eyes, bow your head, and I'm going to give you all a minute just to respond where you are and just to come clean between you and the Lord. And if, it's, if today is the moment that you need to accept Christ as your Lord, ask Him to break that chain so that you may be free. And if there's past hurts or current hurts that are tethering you down, ask for the grace of God that you may be freed from that. Pray right now for the grace of God in your life that you may live in the grace of God and for His glory. Lord, Father, what a wonderful gift prayer is where we can come before you, Lord, and as was said earlier, Lord, it is speaking to you. And I thank you for that privilege that we can be your children and that you listen. Lord, that you give us a share in, in this discipline of prayer that you've given us, Lord, where we get what we need. We get grace and we, we get joy and we're freed and you help us. And Lord, I, I thank you and I praise you that in our prayers, Lord, you have your share and you get what you deserve and you get credit and you get glory. And that's as it should be. Lord, help us all to respond right, appropriately to you, Lord, that we would just embrace the sacrifice of Christ, that we would live free, that we would not be tethered and held down, Lord. Change our hearts. Change the atmosphere, the environment of our heart, Lord, that it would be hospitable to you and um, to the things of, of glory. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing in response to the Lord.